Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm joined as always by Greg. Who's being silent today? I, you know, I always do the hey there thing. I just figured we'd want to roll through it this time. But clearly, that is not the case. Well, I would have done that if we'd known beforehand. Yeah, I can. it was a spur of the moment. Anyway, yes, I am also here. <laughs> and today we will be reviewing Nevermore. But first, let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing. Yeah, obviously, we're continuing our Zombicide fun, zombie killing fun. We did that last week. Um, yep. This week, as of right now, we have not yet played our weekly stream. This week, we're going to be playing Seafall. By the time this episode comes out, we will have already done that, and that's extremely exciting for both of us. We've been really anxious to get that to table pretty much since we heard about it, even before we picked it up. So yep. that's going to be a lot of fun. We hope to see you all on the stream. Yep. Uh, and, well, since you guys are hearing this when you are, be sure to join us this week for Zombicide again. Right. Yeah. Obviously, this, this coming week, by the time this is out, we'll be recording our next and fourth session of Zombicide. So that'll be a lot of fun. Last week, we had some character deaths for the first yep. time because of the, some of the new rules that we added, some of the uh, extra types of monsters that we added. So it'll be interesting to see if we can adapt or if we're going to end up getting murderated again. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, this this past time that we played Zombicide, we were not expecting it to be that difficult. We are just like, oh, we're just going to add, you know, the crows, like an extra necromancer and an extra abomination. And then within, I think, the third round of play, maybe even the fourth, something like that, not too far in, I got murderated by crows. Yeah. The crows really, like, having the extra abomination was a little tough because it meant, you know, we really had to prioritize kiting. Having the extra necromancer, I think by the end of the game, one necromancer either had escaped or was about to escape. Yeah. So, you know, the, that necromancer getting away, if that had happened earlier in the game, that obviously would have put some pressure on us. But really, I would say 85-90% of it was just crow swarms. Um, the fact that they spawned so quickly... And the fact that there are relatively few of them compared to walkers mm -hmm. um, just means that there's almost a guarantee that you're going to run out, which means they're just going to get extra activations. And because they move so fast, they're going to mess you up. Pretty much. It's at, at that time, you had to stay away from the crows at least three spaces at the end of your turn, or else you are likely going to die. It got pretty, pretty dicey at one point, like... I mean, there were at least two situations where you would have died had your character not rolled the armor. That's... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, even with my regeneration ability, just the number of hits that were coming in, if I didn't have my armor, I would have been completely screwed. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really, I think, what we want from Zombicide. Because before I mentioned it earlier, it was easy. Yeah, it, it really was. So I wanted to be on the on the edge of my seat, and I wanted to be you know excited about oh my god like we're we're are we gonna do it are we gonna are we gonna survive are we gonna live through this and we managed to do it by the skin of our teeth in yeah. a way that probably if we were role playing it we would have completely died but uh, because mm. the game. Well, I mean, like, it's because one person got the last objective. And True. while you and, uh, you and uh, Pedro's mm -hmm. character were being swarmed by literally, I think, 
40 zombies. We did sort of cheese the objective, yeah. So, I mean, it was a win. I 100% agree that that was a win. But it was cheese win in that uh, by that time it was uh it was an american victory in distant plains <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, exactly it was a victory because we knew that we wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of our actions exactly exactly but i mean it was a lot of fun we did have three character deaths so my character died at the very beginning then we had harrison a friend of ours who uh, joined in played instead of our regular tj and his character died pretty quickly and then staying up until the very end, like dying one of the last few rounds was Dr. Stormcrow, played by Nick. Yeah. His was a very heroic death. Yes. Uh, gave us the opportunity we needed. But that was obviously a very eventful couple weeks ago. We're really excited to play our fourth scenario this coming week. We hope you tune in. It's a lot of fun for us. We hope it's a lot of fun for you as well. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, so there was that. In addition... You got me Viticulture for my birthday. Yes, I did. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and my partner and I had a chance to play a couple rounds. It's it's pretty good. A lot of standard Euro, mm-hmm. you know, worker placement, gathering resources, converting resources into different qualities of wine, that sort of thing. Balancing money versus points. A lot of the standard sorts of hallmarks. But it does have some some unique elements that I particularly appreciated. One of the most pronounced is something called a grande worker. Mm -hmm. Basically, as with any worker placement game, each space can only be occupied by one meeple. But each player has one grande meeple, which can be placed on any space that has already been used. Whether it's been used by you or whether it's been used by an opponent, doesn't matter. So it just gives you an extra little bit of flexibility. Obviously, you know, you can have up to six workers in viticulture. So, you know, it's only representing you know, between a fourth and a sixth of your total mm-hmm. worker output. But just having the ability to do that can really help you save a turn that in a lot of other games would be completely lost. So that was something that I appreciated. And I look forward to playing with you and eventually doing a full review of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've heard good things both from you and from others. So looking forward to trying that game out. Yeah. Other than that, this weekend I got a chance to go to AwesomeCon. I was selling tickets for Washington, and it was quite a bit of fun. I mean, you know, I got to go see all the nerdery, all the um, just booths of all different kinds of really cool stuff. Bought myself some dice and that kind of thing. But I also got to play a few games. So one of the ones that I played, a very simple game, which we played like at the very end of the con at uh, the Labyrinth booth, is a game that, for the most part, it seems, whenever you play it, you buy it. Okay, that's going to be a pretty good game. It's a very silly, quick game. It's one of those. It's called Happy Salmon. And the way that it works is you need at least three people, and each of you have a deck of, uh, I think it's like somewhere around 10 cards or something like that. Okay. The cards will have on it either uh, saying Pound It, High Five, Switcheroo, or Happy Salmon. Okay. And what it is is that everyone has their, their cards in their hand, and they flip one on top over. And then the game begins. And you're looking around and yelling, like, oh, I've got a high five, high five, high five, high five. Oh, you have a high five. High five, that card goes on the table. Next card gets flipped over. Okay, switcheroo, switcheroo, who's got a switcheroo, switcheroo? Okay, you, me, switch. 
and uh, you do a switch and both of your cards go on the table oh, and then okay. uh, but if you don't have it like you know it's like high five high five no one has a high five put it on the bottom of the deck uh bump it bump it bump it okay uh you do boom okay next switch through switch through no one has it bottom of the deck you know it's really frantic really quick uh, like a lot of yelling okay um, now what the hell is a happy salmon Happy Salmon is something that our viewers will not really be able to see, but if you put out your hand straight, pass like with our your hand like past the other person's hand like that. It's like the salmon's tail slapping against the Okay, other. sure. So it's so, like a Roman handshake except instead of grasping their wrist, yeah. you just like you like wiggle. lightly wiggle and slap the, okay. the other person's wrist. Well, that's suitably weird yeah exactly <laughs> so it's just a really fun quick game that you just boom 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 play it like it literally takes less than five minutes and you're done and it plays i believe up to six people in the base game okay uh, and you could buy the other version of happy salmon to get another six colors so you can pay, play up to 12 oh all right yeah that's pretty good good uh, sort of fun quick party game exactly it's it's one of those that is just like oh let's just really quick boom let's play this like when we when you need a break or something right so I got to play that, and yes, I did end up buying it, um, because... <laughs> this is my not-surprised face. Yes. And then I also got to play a game called Unknown. Unknown was a exploration kind of game, just came out recently, and it's pretty much, you start with like one space in the middle, and then you have four resource tiles next to it, and then you have to go and explore. You have a few different goals. Each scenario has a different goal. There are 16 scenarios, and there are 16 different characters that you can be. Okay. It's a cooperative game where you're trying to complete the objective before your base runs out of food. Your okay. base uses one food per turn. You can go back and give food to your base to like extend the game and things like that, but you have to gather the food first. And like there are monsters and other things that spawn. Like when you explore tiles, you show the tile and it's like, oh, you found medicine or like a, a medicine space, or oh, you found a monster space of this type of monster. And you have like a, they have um, cool shaped meeples that are like all the different monsters have different meeples. We won by the skin of our teeth. Mm -hmm. uh, it was one of those like where it's just like, oh my god, are we, can we do it? Can we do it? It's like barely yes, we can do it. We managed to do it right before the food ran out, but. It's fun. You can't do like what you normally do in, uh, when you're like trying to build out, where you just like create a block of just everything. Mm -hmm. You actually cannot make two by two spaces. So it, with tiles, so what you have to do is like you know you, you have a tile in the middle, and like each of them have one off off of each side. So you can't put the one that is uh, that like makes a two by two space of of, oh, of cleared. Okay area so you almost make like a lattice yeah you pretty much are making a lattice of like squares and that kind of stuff if you want to be the most efficient huh and then right. for the monsters some of them you can't kill so you have to kite them away and create blockades and traps that stun them and that kind of stuff or like you know if you have the resources you're going to make the scrap over here if you go to hand-to-hand -hand combat with any of the the creatures you get injured and they take one damage if that's enough to kill them then they're dead but otherwise you know, you keep fighting until I think one of you dies. <laughs> and there's like medicine so you can heal people and that kind of stuff. And one of the other things is that when you gather resource from a tile, it's spent. No longer usable for the rest of the game. Okay. So it's like, it's not like you have any kind of source of continuous goods. Sure. As you have to keep exploring and the further you explore, the further out you are, right. the longer it takes for you to get back in. So you have to have the forethought of adding food to the to the base in order to be able to go further, find the objective, complete the objective, complete the game. Right. 
I'm not gonna lie, that sounds actually pretty delightful. It was a lot of fun. I really recommend checking it out. Uh, I'm looking is forward it, to playing it again. Thematically, is it sort of like because in my head I'm envisioning sort of early hunter gatherer type. Is it more fantasy? More post apocalyptic. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was sort of the other option. Yeah, more you're stranded in the undergrounds uh, after the apocalypse. You only have so much food, medicine, and so on. Okay. And uh, now this X is happening. Right. And since they have 16 different scenarios and 16 different characters that you can be, it has quite a bit of replayability. Yeah, it sounds like it. Is it, you said it plays up to four players? Uh, no, I believe it plays up to six. Okay. If I was in a five-player game, I okay. think it goes up to six. So pretty pretty robust. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I look forward to trying it out eventually. I think that they're going to be at Washington, so I think okay. we'll probably try it out there. I exchange cards with the uh, designer, so. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, and that is a look at what we've been playing. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of confusing lore, I looked upon this game Polaris and whispered, nevermore. Yeah, so if you'll forgive our jab at Polaris, who some of you may remember is an RPG system that we were not the biggest fans of. We are really big fans of the lore. Not so much the gameplay. But we will actually be now reviewing Nevermore, card-drafting game inspired by the work of Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. So the game itself has a pretty simple base concept of of how it works. It is a card-drafting game, as you said. Uh, We start with everyone having five cards. You keep two of those, and you pass the rest to either the right or left, depending on the round. Mm -hmm. The cards that you can have in your hand are the raven, of course, the heart, the knife or the sword, the swirly gig thing, which is the magic. Radiance, I believe they call it. Radiance. And the chalice, which is the victory points. Right. Each round, essentially, of the game is divided into two phases. You've got the drafting phase, which happens first. That's when you start out with your five cards, then you pass three take the three that have been passed to you, look at all five, pass two of those, and then accept two and finally pass one. So that concludes the drafting phase. You have your sort of final hand of five. And then you move into the resolution phase, which is where each of the effects is resolved in turn. There are the five different suits, each of which allows you to perform a different ability if you are the one who reveals the most of that suit. So four of the suits are relatively straightforward. Um, swords allow you to inflict one point of damage hearts allow you to heal one point of health chalices allow you to gain one victory point and radiance allow you to draw one light magic card which are not suits and they're not they don't participate in the drafting they simply allow you to perform extra effects yep the fifth suit on the other hand ravens is slightly different each raven that you have in your hand must kill one card of another suit during the reveal So say, for example, I have a hand that has three swords and two ravens. When swords are called, I reveal my entire hand. Two of my swords are negated by my ravens. And in turn, I present one sword for the purposes of factoring in who gets the most, you know, how many points of damage they get to inflict, that sort of thing. So if you have one or two ravens, they're detrimental. 
If you have three or four ravens, that means you're going to have leftovers that can't kill anything. In that case, you present them in the final step, and you earn one shadow magic card per raven. These are, well, per raven minus whoever posted the second most ravens. Yep. And these are roughly analogous to light magic cards. They have similar effects. They can be performed at similar times. They're just slightly different. Right. So the magic cards themselves are, as most of these kinds of ability cards are, they break the rule or do something different in some way when you play when you use the card. For example, one of the cards is that you don't do the full draft. You only do one pass of the draft. You, draw, you give someone two cards and then that's it. Right. Other ones let you heal and, you know, switch your cards or hurt someone else for a price of a victory point or one of your own health or something like that. So there are a lot of different other abilities that you can get from these magic cards. The shadow magic seems to be a little bit more powerful than the light magic just because it's harder to get. Right, and riskier in particular. Much riskier because, you know, if you go for the ravens and then... It ends up that there just weren't that many in this hand because all the cards are shuffled together and dealt out. And uh, sometimes you might have a lot of ravens. Sometimes you will have one in the entire thing. You could get really hurt from that if you're not collecting something else. So that just means that the shadow magic has to like make up for that. Right. And the other thing about the whole sets and everything is that if you do enough damage or other effect pretty much from each set of cards you can get victory points so if you were to deal four damage or more to the the group so you had four more swords than anyone else on the, at the table which is pretty difficult to do most of the time right you can then hurt everyone at the table for one one point and also take two victory points yeah it's just sort of an alternate way to earn victory points, and many of the other suits have similar effects. Hearts, if you are at full health and would regain three hit points, instead you gain a victory point. And if at any time you show five radiance, regardless of how many radiance are in other people's hands, you restore hit points and gain victory points. So that's just sort of alternate ways to earn victory conditions so that, you know, if the supply of chalices is running low or if that's not something that you want to focus on, you still have options. Yes, exactly. Ravens, on the other hand, are slightly unique. The order in which you reveal your suits are randomized each turn for the four non-raven suits. Ravens, because of the special way that they work, are different. At the end of the turn, that's when you perform what's called the Skulking Raven Step, and that's when you take Shadow Magic if you have any left over. But at the beginning of the resolution phase, that's when it's called for a Conspiracy of Ravens. If any player has gotten five Ravens into their hand, one, that phase immediately ends. No one else gets to play any cards. Two, the collecting player gets to inflict damage to every single opponent, and Three, they take victory points. So, again, high-risk, high-reward gameplay with the Ravens, but if you can manage to accumulate all five, that's a very, very powerful effect. Yeah, the cancellation of everyone else's turn, especially, is extremely powerful in this game. Very. Because that just means that no one can heal, no one can get any other victory points, and you're just starting the next thing. All their cards are going to waste. Right. 
and all the better if someone played some kind of card at the beginning that you made them waste as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, if you can deny your opponent's opportunities, all the better. Now one thing that we haven't talked about and that is really, I feel, very interesting and unique to the game, we've talked about health. You start out with five, you can heal up over the course of the game, but when you're reduced to zero, you don't die. Instead, you turn into a raven yourself and you continue playing. While you're a raven, you have sort of limited things that you can do. First of all, you play just like normal in terms of drafting. You take your cards, pass three, take cards, pass two, so on and so forth. But if you're the card leader, when it comes time to show hearts, swords, or chalices, instead of performing the regular activity, you just get to peck an opponent and deal damage. You can still gain light magic as normal, and you can still treat raven cards as normal. But other than that, you're very, very limited, and you can't gain victory points or win the game. There are a couple ways to come back from being a raven. If you have five of a kind at any point, you come back. If you have one of each of the five suits, you come back from being a raven at the end of the resolution phase. And then there are a handful of cards that allow you to do it, but for the most part, those are the two ways. And when you come back, you get four health, you're fully human again, and you get all of your victory points back from sort of this stasis that they were in while you were a raven. So I really appreciate that aspect of the game. It didn't come up in any of the games that we played most recently, but I do like that it's not permanent elimination. You can stay in the game, you can fight to sort of get back and, you know, earn mm -hmm. your points back and, and come out on top. Exactly. It, it's a really interesting mechanic because you're almost keeping an eye on the game, making sure that no one wins while you're there. So you, you have a very big like incentive to just try to screw everyone else over in some way because you know that you can't get the abilities until a certain point. Right. So all in all, it's a pretty simple game. Yeah, the whole gameplay of it, uh, you know, you you play all the cards that you have, and then you subtract the number of cards that the person with the second most has, and that's how much you gain. Simple, easy, very easy to understand. Every raven that you have in your hand has to be has to cancel one of the other cards. Boom, that's also pretty easy. And with that, you just have to collect six victory points. Yep. If you have six victory points and you are alive, the game immediately ends. Like, that's it. Done. Boom. No one else gets to do anything. There's no waiting till the end of the round. Nothing like that. Game is immediately over. Yep. Which is good. I mean, like it, it adds to, like, the quickness. There's, like, you know, you got to really be careful about what you do. Like, the first game that we played recently was both of us played a chalice, and I got the last victory point I needed. Even though you still gained a victory point, it turned out that I won. Right. You gained the winning victory point, and yep. I just gained a regular victory point. Exactly. Exactly. It was a lot of fun. I definitely enjoyed it. The game itself has uh, enough depth to be easy to play for a few rounds in a row mm -hmm. without really getting boring. But it's still really quick, especially when you have uh, fewer players. Yeah, it plays three to six. And it's I think I put it sort of in that same category as a game like Between Two Cities, where it's good for groups that are starting to maybe get a little too large for regular games, but aren't hardcore dedicated gamers who are going to sit down for a six-person game of Scythe. Yeah. Um, so it's a good sort of intermediate, and I like that about it. It plays very, very quickly. The emphasis is on quick drafting, quick resolution. The cards are all 
very immediately impactful and sort of, you know, satisfying when they resolve. And it's just generally a game with high turnover. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I'll mention that I was a little bit disappointed with, not really something that I guess would be in the no, no game is perfect section, but it's just the only connection between Nevermore and the actual game is the fact that it's Ravens. And it's almost as if this is more of like a wizard's duel than anything else in terms of like thematics, because like, oh, if you get damaged, you turn into a raven. Like, you know, it doesn't really have much to do with Edgar Allan Poe. I was expecting when I first heard about the game, I was expecting something to do with his poems, with something like that. So when it turned out to just be like have generic symbols, pretty much of oh yeah, there's the Holy Grail or whatever. You know? <laughs> It's, it doesn't really tie. Like, there is the heart, but even then, like if it were the anatomically correct heart, that would have been cool because it would have tied into the telltale heart. Or, you know, if you could do something with a cask of Amontillado uh, or something along those lines. Yeah, it is a little bit of a missed opportunity. I will say that I think that the, the theme and sort of the art style and the feel that we got is pretty great. You know, the art is fantastic. It's very intricate and very mm -hmm. vivid. The theme feels very, I kind of called it gothic, mm -hmm. but not tending towards horror in a way that that genre, I feel like, frequently gets. Yes. You know, a lot of people just shorthand that. They say, oh, gothic, vampires, creepy, whatever. You know, this is more dark and mysterious, but not creepy necessarily. And I very much appreciated that. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I like the theme. I just feel like if it were a different title, like right. it would have, like, it would have totally gotten me. Yeah. Versus like a, a little bit of that disappointment because yeah. yeah, I completely agree. The cards are beautiful. They're really nicely illustrated. Everything is done really well. It's just I wish that they'd either gone one way and named it something else, or incorporated more of Poe's work into something that is named after one of the most famous quotes: "Quoth the Raven, Nevermore." Right. Yeah, they definitely could have played into it a little bit better. But as you mentioned, mostly just sort of a nitpicky thing. However, there are a few things that are more substantial that we think fall into that no game is perfect category. First and foremost is the rules and clarification around the rules. The magic cards that we've mentioned, they have text on them that specifies when you can play them, but it's very, very general, and it leads to a lot of confusion because there's no accompanying clarification in the rulebook. Many of them simply say, play this card before the resolution phase. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you have to play it immediately before the resolution phase, after the drafting phase has ended? Or does that mean you can play it any time in a turn as long as it's before the resolution phase? So a lot of these that I'm thinking of are cards that are magic cards, but they say put a card of the, you know a certain suit into your hand yeah does that mean that you could use that card and then draft it away or you know there's just lots of confusion and the rulebook mm -hmm. doesn't do a lot to allay those confusions so you know that's something that if they reprinted it would definitely be worth putting in the in the rulebook yeah for sure and some of the other effects of the cards can also be a little bit confusing as well uh, just in general the text of them is not always the most clear other than that, I mean, it would be also pretty cool if they did something other than little tiny wooden cubes for the pieces. 
Like, I mean, they're small. We lost one today while we were playing it because it flew off the table and is now nowhere to be seen. Yeah. You know, it'd be cool. Even if you just did, like, you know, some cardboard things or something like that, that would, like, be nicer or illustrated or, like, you know, a different shape or something. But, I mean, that's also a very big nitpicky thing. So, right. All in all, though, final review, I'm going to go ahead and give it a play it. I think it is a wonderful game. It fits, you know, three to six players, which is a pretty comfortable medium to large gaming group. It's quick. It's a great theme. But all in all, I think for what you get, it is probably just a little bit too expensive and a little bit too convoluted with those rules issues that we mentioned to be something that you want to introduce to completely novice gamers, which I feel like between two cities, the, you know, sort of similar game uh, is much better about. So for those reasons, I'm going to go with a play it. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. I also think it's a play it. It's a fun game to play. I, I'm really glad that I got to, the chance to play it. But I don't think that this is a game that I would add to my own personal collection. It's fun, it's quick, it's enjoyable, but I don't think it's necessary. If, if you like it, if you really like card drafting games, then you might want to pick this up because it is a nice card drafting game for up to six people, which is really quick and fun. But for the most part, I think for, it would be something that would be a lot of fun to go to your local gaming store or local gaming convention and play. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Final note before we head out, a couple of games that are quite similar. First of all, Fairy Tale is one that we have played before. Very similar card drafting mechanics, less in the way of direct interaction if you're simply playing the base game, but the advanced game does have a lot more things that you can do to directly impact your opponent in some of the same sorts of ways that Nevermore does. You can remove their ability to score points, you can negatively impact their board state, things like that. And then, of course, there's also, as in any game with drafting, you're going to have the hate drafting aspect. You know, you can tell that someone is trying to acquire blank. You're going to keep that from them. And in fairy tale, it's even more prominent because of the fact that you draft five cards but only use three. Right. So that's one of them. The other one is Heat. So this is a game that we've talked about a few times. It's a lot of fun. It is by our friend Dave Chalker, and it also has that kind of drafting aspect of the game and also just has a lot of that player interaction. So you play off of the cards that other people have played. You know, if they've played a certain number of this color card, then you will get a certain effect. Or, you know, other people having this card is going to make sure that you get less points for using this card or something like that. So definitely another game that has a similar kind of player interaction as well as card drafting mechanic. And there you have it, our review of Nevermore. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dragon's Demise. Join us next Wednesday when we take another crack at Zombicide and see if maybe we can get some revenge on those crows. Also, WashingCon tickets are still on sale over at WashingCon.com. Be sure to head over and get yours now. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have lots of awesome designers, both established and unpublished. Great opportunities to play some new games, hang out with your friends. We really, really hope to see you there. WashingCon.com for all your information and ticketing needs. And finally, join us next week when we review Tiny Epic Galaxies and its new expansion, Beyond the Black.